Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Milwaukee over Detroit last night, 127-104. They wrap up their sweep. They finish off their first playoff series win since 2001. But if that was your takeaway from last night, you're missing the point. Yes, it's great that Milwaukee's moving on. Yes, they handled their business like bosses. When you're up 3-0 on a team, you finish them. You choke them out. There's nothing more clinical than beating a team by 23 in their own house to end that series. But last night wasn't even about that. Last night was about one thing. One thing only. Giannis. Giannis. 41 points. 9 rebounds. 4 blocks. About Giannis, but not even about that amazing stat line. And not about him as the league MVP, which he probably will be this year. No, this is even bigger than all that. This is about Giannis taking over as the best player in the league. Now, let me say this. There is a difference between the MVP and the best player in the league. LeBron, as an example, is a four-time MVP. But he's been the best player in the league for a lot longer than four years. MJ was a five-time MVP, but his reign as the best player in the association was also a lot longer than those five years. Peak MJ could have and should have been the MVP every single year, but that would get old. That gets boring. Point being, there is a difference between Giannis winning the MVP this year and Giannis being the best player in the league. Now, credit to Detroit. They fought, they could have, and should have packed it in last night. They weren't going to win that series, but they were still grinding out. They had pride. They didn't lay down. Detroit actually had a lead at halftime. In fact, Detroit had that lead in the third quarter. But then Giannis. Then Giannis put on a third quarter clinic that can best be summed up in a montage. Blake Griffin got it from in screen, lost the ball. Giannis took it away. Court length feed. Athletic pitch puts on the brakes. Got enough room with him and Drummond and the two. Pluto screen. Now Giannis with the mismatch on Jackson. Now they'll leave him free and he'll take those long strides right to the rack. Five and a half to go. 16 for Blake. And here comes Giannis. 13 straight piston points offered by Blake Griffin. Up to Decumbo and the maker. 16 points in the third quarter. That's the kind of thing that the best player in the league does. The best player in the league also throws it down like this in the first quarter. This is you see, Maker picks up his second. Giannis! Out up high and hammered it home. He took one dribble from the three-point line. One dribble, and here's the length on full display here. That's a man playing against boys. The extension, the elevation, the nasty. That's the kind of thing that could have ended that game in that series right there. Detroit could have just shut down and screamed, let's go home. And nobody would have given a damn. And if the Pistons did not give up after that dunk, nobody would have minded if they quit after this play moments later. Look at the speed of this Smith and the block high under the combo. <laughs> Wow, that's right. Yes, that's what you I, do. You cannot exactly. believe what you see yes. when he skies and rockets that high. I'm with you, young man. Look at this. Ish Smith thinks he has a wide open land and out of nowhere. I mean, is this dude even for real? If you've seen that video, he damn near impaled himself on the rim. He nearly smashed his head on the rim. I mean, there's the block. 
And then if you saw the reaction, the horrified reaction from the Pistons fan in the stands, that fan looked like he saw a ghost. And he pretty much did. Because that is not real life. Giannis just rejected that shot into the center of the earth. I mean, holy crap. The guy came out of nowhere to do that. And yes, I understand he's doing that against an eight seed. But again, how many people have you ever seen do that to anybody on any level? That was like that former D1-er that swatted Jay Stu in a run at the local Y, landed, and got right in Stu's grill and screamed, Man's game, bitch! Man's game, bitch! Giannis, Giannis, though, is doing all this at 6'11". 6'11". The same height as Tim Duncan. I mean, can you imagine the big fundamental getting the ball outside the three-point line and dunking like that in one stride or rejecting a shot like that? I mean, no disrespect to Duncan. But can you imagine anybody anywhere doing stuff like that? Stuff like Giannis just did last night. I mean, I repeat, that bleep really ain't real. That's a cartoon character move. And speaking of moves that guys should never be able to do and that make no sense at all, what was this? To Whatever. Sterling Brown out of SMU and deep to out of the combo. Oh, my goodness. Wow. You can, look, being here. <laughs> I mean, that's Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller. That is an experienced veteran crew. That's one of the best players ever in Reggie Miller. That's one of the best broadcasters ever in Kevin Harlan. They've been around. They've seen everything. They've seen a ton of basketball in their day. And they've got no words. They've got words for literally every other occasion. And then at this point, they just give up. And there's no words. And I understand that. Because after the game, Giannis and Eric Bledsoe tried to explain that particular play. And they weren't that good at it either. Give me the ball right in the paint. So I got up. And I just tried to uh, imitate Bledsoe in uh, game three. You know, I got up and uh, tried to finish with the other hand or whatever. I don't remember. Can you give us your perspective, what your angle was on that play? And maybe where that ranks with what you've seen him do? Um, like he said, game three came to me about my layup. Uh, the one I made in my left hand, but I had to tell him, like, bro, you understand how, you know, athletic you've been all season and, and finessing at the rim. So, and that one, it was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable, man. His own teammates see it every single day, and they can't believe it. Again, I'm not saying that going 41-9-4 in a closeout game against an eight makes you the best player in the league. I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that the best player in the league does. And I'm not saying that having a dunk like the one he threw down and a rejection like the one he had makes you the best player in the league, but those are the types of things that the best player in the league does. It's a dominant performance against an undermanned Pistons team, and everything could change in the next round. I get that. Brad Stevens, Al Horford, they might come up with something, something nasty to lock up Giannis. And then everybody will be looking to clown the guy. Except the era of Giannis is coming. Closer and closer and faster and faster. And if it hasn't arrived already, it's about to. And if you want to say right now that he is the guy, that he is the best player in the league, I'm not going to get in the way and argue it. We are joined by Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Chauncey, nice to have you on. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. It's great to have you. So the draft is now two days off. Let me start right there. You're almost there. What has the entire experience been like for you leading up to the draft? It's been long and tiring. Like the first half, like training for the combine, and got it came up on us quick. And then like after that, it's just like everything going real slow. Like meeting routines, workouts, and it's just like man, when the draft gonna be here? Not. 
couple of days away, so now it's like, I feel like it's coming up fast now. So. Good for you, man. I appreciate that. That's an honest response. That is work. Of course it's work. It's a big-time job interview. Now, the thing that keeps coming up is when people talk about you, they evaluate your game, and you're talked about as a guy who's the perfect DB for how the NFL is played right now. In other words, you've got the speed to cover guys, you've got the size to match up with big receivers and tight ends, and you can play safety. The list goes on. So let me ask you, what do you feel like you bring to the team that does draft you? Uh, versatility. I'm the best safety in the draft. Like you said, I can play multiple positions. I've done, I've done what coaches called upon with three different coaches staff. So I feel like I can do the best. Uh, pretty playing free safety, really. Uh, you know, when teams call on me, I can play in the middle of the field. I can come out in the box, covering the slot. So I just have fun, you know, doing what I'm supposed to do and going out, competing, and just doing, and playing my responsibility no matter where I'm on the field. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, my guest. Now, because of that versatility, there are a number of different spots that you can play, but I've heard you make the point that nickel corner, that nickel corner is a grown man position. What do you mean by that? And then how much do you like that challenge of being in that spot? So when I tweeted that, I was going, me and my dad and my uncle, my trainer was going through the going through the Super Bowl history. For the past two years, Super Bowl has been won in a slot. The past three years, and the Patriots slot receiver, you know, dominated. And if you just watch the game in the NFL, a lot of slot receivers are, you know, a dominant. Tyree Hill, um, Julian Edelman, all them guys. You know, it's just it's just doing what they're supposed to do and to get open. There's not too many guys that cover them. So I feel like with like you said, the new era DV. I can go in a slot and cover him and do what I have to do and hold it down and play within the defense and have fun. And possibly my team is Super Bowl wherever I go. All right, so for those who don't follow that thing really closely, what's it take to play nickel corner as compared to playing safety, for instance? What's the biggest difference? Uh, you're close to the ball, and you can see everything a lot quicker, so you have to make a sudden, a sudden decision, a quick decision to make. If it's right, if it's right, if it's wrong, just live with it and go your all and, and close it, coach you up. So I feel like that nickel spot is like more – it's more like a safety, too. It's like another linebacker. You talk to the linebacker, you talk to the D-line. So you have to get your food to get in and get out. Let's talk sports. Let's talk business. As any coach or GM will tell you, the foundation of any great team is great talent. So it is no surprise that teams dedicate so much time and effort towards finding the right players. The same rule applies when it comes to hiring. You need top talent, but you do not have to have endless resources to find that top talent. Luckily, what you do have is ZipRecruiter. They scout talent for you with ZipRecruiter. One click sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so unbelievably effective. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through their site on the very first day. Try it yourself. In fact, try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. ZipRecruiter.com slash C-L-O-N-E-S. Again, ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. Try it for free because ZipRecruiter truly is the smartest way to hire. Chauncey Garner-Johnson joining us. The draft's coming up on Thursday. Now, there are a couple of ways you can go about the draft evaluation process, right? Like one of them is you can take all the negative stuff in and that goes into your head. Or the other one is you can hear all the positive stuff and let that go into your head. How have you been dealing about everything that people have been saying about you since you did declare for the draft? I've been taking both. But mainly I take me and my agent and my mom, my parents, we take everything. We take the bad parts because you got to think about it. You want to think of the worst, what's the worst possible situation that you can live in and what's the worst possible situation that you can that you can handle. 
And if you can take that, then the good is going to handle itself. So I feel like, you know, we're, 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 we're focused on what we can control. You know, we're not worried about what people think I can go. It's just like whatever team calls on there, I'll just be happy to go. Like if I don't even get drafted at all, I won't even, I just make have my opportunities and do what I have to do because I know I can play. So I'm just ready to go out and just show everybody, you know, the draft is just one thing. But once you get there, it's another thing. And the steps you take to improve and play as a player. Improve and improve and improve and take progression as a player. John C. Garner Johnson joining us, getting ready for the draft. Now, one of the things you've talked about is that you don't want to just be a good player. You want to be the best player, the best teammate, the best person in the community. And when you know where you're going to play, how do you go about approaching being a great teammate? Like, what's your approach going to be in the locker room and as a leader? Um, just going out there and just working. I put my head down and work. You know, I'm going to be a young guy, rookie, don't know the ropes. So I just want to go in and learn as much open ear and open arms to any advice, any possibility that I can have because you don't know what might happen. You know, I might get hurt and never play football again, so I want to be able to take those knowledge that I learned from the steps I can in the league and just pass them down, just help guys get there and get to their dream. Because like I said, where I'm from, I like people make it to this point. So just to get here where I have, I have to stay here in order to, you know, make myself known, but just also going to have to do what's right on and off the field to make everybody respect me, just not as well as a man. All right, so when you look back on your college career and you look back on your time at Florida, the 2017 season did not go the way that anybody would have liked when you were 4-7, and seven, but then you completely turned that around in 2018 with a 10-win season, which included a bowl win over Michigan. How much pride do you take in the fact that you were a part of that turnaround? Uh, the team voted me as a team captain. And like I said, leading by example. And going in, like I was one of those rah-rah guys we talked a lot, but when it's time to open my arms up to freshmen, open my arms up to new coaching, open my arms up to anybody, I just want to go in and be the best because, you know, I told them 4-8 and eight don't feel good to anybody, and we're playing the big boy league, so we got to you know, put our big boy pants on and go out there and play. Not worry about the record, worry about the score, don't worry about who's on the field, but the 10 guys or 11 guys on the field with you. So I just want to go out there, you know, and, and leave my mark on the program. And I feel like I did that with, with how we played, you know, how we brought energy every game. You know, we took some bumps, but we still brought energy, come into practice, ready to play, willing to go out for our, go out for our teammates and do what we have to do. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, my guest. All right, and then you had a pick six in that win over Michigan. What do you remember about that play, and how good did it feel to cap off your career with a game like that? Oh, dang, that play, I was just like, well, we got to get him off the field so offense can take the knee. And I seen the ball, I was like, oh, yeah, it's time to go score because I knew it was coming my way, but it was me and my teammate James going for the ball, and he actually dove. So I was just kind of like, kind of hesitant, I'm like, uh, and like, okay, he's going to hit me. I'm like, man, I'm out there playing with my teammates. You know, this hit wouldn't take anything. So when, I, when the ball fell in my hands, I was like, just get to the end zone, get to our crowd, and let them soak in the moment with me. And Chauncey, last month, your son was born. What was that moment yeah. like? Talk to me about that. What was that moment like? Uh, a life, that was a life touchdown. Uh, you know, life came quick. And, and my son was actually, he wasn't here for the whole season. But he was actually, he was in my uh, girls, you know, he was in the stomach. So, that moment there opened my eyes a lot because, you know, I'm not only playing football, I'm also a father. And everybody say, oh, you want to be the best father you can be, this and this and that. But my thing is I want to be the best father possible at any time. I, wanna be the best, I don't want to be the best football player to my son. I want to be the best father I can be to my son. And I feel like that's the best advice I can get to any parent, any new parent, you know, because you can get life mixed up. And I don't want to get my son's life mixed up with my, with my life because once I play football, I'm selfish to it. But once I'm off the field, I'm doing what I have to do. I'm selfish to my son and the time that we spend and things we have to do to get accomplished as a man. 
Listen, you're finding this out already, but being a parent is like the most awesome responsibility ever. It's it's great, but it's an awesome, awesome responsibility. Your family members talk about how much you love being a dad. So, so far, has it been what you expected, or maybe on some level, has it been even better than you expected? It's been better, because as a dad, everybody says, oh, you're going to cry every night, you're going to do this. My son hasn't cried at all that night. He goes to sleep just like me, and he sleeps in his own bed. Only time he cries, he has a change his diaper, he's hungry. Other than that, my son just out in the space, chill. Watch, he watch TV, you know. He watches little TV. <laughs> he relaxes, but he, it's it's living up to the standard that everybody expects. It's not because I'm a baby, because everybody's baby is different, and my son is doing, you know, absolute opposite. And he did a push up, and he, he may not believe, but he did a push up at like I think a month old already. He just pushed his head up. I mean, it counts. You know how that goes. <laughs> Dude, I was going to ask you about that now. I mean, you put it out there that he's already a great athlete, that he already did a push-up a couple of days after he was born. I mean, is he backpedaling yet? Have you got him to squats and power cleans yet? Where he's at? Where's he at athletically now? Speed turning. We're working on speed turning. <laughs> get your head around. Uh, as you get your head around, you go, you go from there. That's something else. Listen, before last season, you changed your name to Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. You added Johnson in honor of Brian Johnson, your stepfather. You'd been writing Johnson on your homework for years, but when you made it official, Brian said that he was in tears. He still gets emotional thinking about that. What does he mean to you, and what's it mean to you to know that that honor means so much to him? Yeah, a lot. You know, he's been there since I was three, and he hasn't missed anything. I've missed track meet, football game, basketball game. I don't think he missed the spelling bee either. My one time in spelling bee, he was there. You know, he trying me to beat everybody, but I lost in the first round because I couldn't spell together. <laughs> but it's cool. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, just a big honor. You know, everybody knows who my dad is. And now that they see that his name is on the back and they see the image I planted for him and our family, is just like, dang, like, just because you have a stepfather, it don't mean that stepfather can be your real father. And I, he stepped in as a man, you know, what men like, are supposed to do, you know, Come in, take care of my mom, take care of my two little brothers, and just be there. You know, being there was was the best part. You know, everything else fell in place, but just being there for me, knowing I had somebody to you know run to if something went wrong, and just talk to him about anything. Chauncey Gardner Johnson, my guest. So finally, he talks about how much pride he had in seeing that name on your jersey at Florida. But he's also said that he's still in awe of how good you are. He said, "quote He used to tell me he was going to play in the NFL. I told him he was crazy." End quote. Yet here we are, a couple of days off. What's it like knowing that you're only a matter of days away from finally realizing that dream after all the work? Uh, it's it's hard. It's hard to just think about one moment. Everybody say, what's the key moment to get you? But every moment really boiled up to this point, and every moment just, you know, built in for me. It's just all the anger, all the tears, all the happiness. It's just built up to this moment. Like, like I said, I told my dad when I was, Young, I was going to play in the film. He told me it was crazy. I told him he was crazy because he's not supposed to shoot my dreams down. And now that it's coming true, it's just like, I got to go grab it. Now I'm getting closer and closer. But now, once I grab it, what am I going to do with it? And I feel like once I get there, like I, told, like I said earlier, I'm just ready to put my head down and keep working because I'm not done. I want to be the best in the world. That's how I feel. I want to be better than Dion. And Dion was my favorite player to watch. And I went to a couple of his camps. And I even told him, I'm going to be better than you. And then he laughed, but. That's that's just my that's just how I think, and now that it's getting closer, reality is really going to sink in, sink in, and just like I, like I said, I got to go get it. In other words, like who's crazy now, pops? Who's crazy now, pops? Yeah. Draft coming up on <laughs> Thursday. Yes, sir. 
All right, he's a former DB from Florida. He led that team with four picks last season. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson right there on the precipice. Chauncey, great to have you on. Listen, good luck with that, and we'll run you down once you get in the NFL and you know where you're going to live and when you're going to work. I'll look forward to talking to you again. Appreciate it. Thank you. You too. Trust the friendly, knowledgeable parts professionals at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Our professionals know what it takes to get the job done right. Professional technicians have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for years. Come see for yourself. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Odell Beckham Jr. hops on Twitter yesterday. And he had thoughts. In fact, he had lots of thoughts. And they appeared to be in reaction to Giants GM Dave Gettleman. Gettleman did an interview with NJ.com. And he aired some things out. Here's part of it. Quote, there's more to it than just collecting talent. There is a cultural thing to it that's critical. I have not been on a team that's gone to a Super Bowl that's had a culture problem. End quote. So, did they have one with the Giants? Was there a culture problem with the Giants? Quote, not anymore, he said with a satisfied smile. End quote. Not anymore. Which you can imagine, that made its way back to Odell. And as you might also imagine, Odell was ready. Odell, in fact, was prolific on Twitter yesterday to the point where it's almost hard to figure out when he started going in on Gettleman. But it was probably somewhere after this tweet. Quote, listen, PSA, I'm having one of the best days of my life. I have gotten some of the greatest news. So don't play with me because I'm shooting back. For all the haters out there that want a response, today is the day, my friend. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Yesterday was the day, all right. And he was shooting back. Shooting back with tweets like this. Quote, ask the coach. I begged him to go to each and every one of those games, actually for my teammates, and to be on the sideline for the home games. He told me, no. Anything else, sir? That's to whoever tweeted asking why I didn't travel while I was hurt. Next. Somebody tweeted at him, quote, Stop crying, you loser. There's no reason to go after a Class A franchise because you were a locker room cancer and they realized they need to change the culture. Grow up and show a little maturity for the first time in your career. Hashtag overrated. Beckham saw that. Beckham responded with, and I quote, LOL, you follow me with the laughing emojis. He's got a point, right? If the guy is an immature loser who is overrated and a cancer, why are you following him? And then Odell chased that with this, quote, Ask any one of my teammates of who I was as a teammate and a man and a person. Yes, I'm cancer to a place that's okay with losing because I want to win that bad. You're absolutely correct, end quote. And then there was more. There was this from Beckham where he repeated some of Gettleman's previous comments. Quote, we didn't sign him to trade him. You don't get married to get a divorce. I tried my best. The situation I'd been in since I got there never changed. We were still losing. Period. Money doesn't bring happiness, brother. Remember that. Now, here's the thing about this entire exchange. Normally, I would say that Odell probably should stay above this whole thing, not get hooked. Except I don't have a problem with it this time. I do not have a problem with this because it seems like the guy who's really hooked on what happened with Odell is not Odell. It's Gettleman because Dave Gettleman keeps bringing it up, going to the media and telling them that you don't have a cultural problem anymore after you traded Odell Beckham Jr. 
most other GMs would have moved on by now. After all, there is a draft coming up in a couple of days. Most guys in that spot would be focused on that, not talking about their previous moves. But it seems like DG is the one who can't wait to talk about that. He's the one who's not letting it go. He also couldn't wait to talk about himself. He told NJ.com, quote, I've been to seven Super Bowls. I feel very strongly that I know what it should look like, what it should smell like, what it should taste like. And so you can look at me and say, well, either I know what I'm doing or I'm a big fat rabbit's foot. Neither one's bad, right? I like my resume so far. Yeah, all right, Dave. I'm not sure what a Super Bowl should smell like, but I also know what or that if I was coming off a 5-11 and season in 2018, I would not be referencing Super Bowls from the early 90s as evidence that I know what I was doing. I mean, what the hell have you done for me lately? What's it smell like? It smells like desperation. So does blaming everything on a culture problem and claiming that it was fixed when you got fleeced in a trade. You know what that smells like? That smells like somebody else getting over on you. That smells like failure. But here's the weird thing about all of this. Gettleman seems to think that it's working. He seems to think that betting on an aging Eli Manning and trading the best receiver in franchise history is a good thing. He seems to think that's the plan and that he got over. Yeah, well, that better be the plan. Did you check that detail in the NJ.com article? When asked if the team had a cultural problem, the response was, quote, not anymore, he said with a satisfied smile. You know, like, yeah, I got this. Great, Dave. You better have this. You're hyping your resume. You're the guy playing chess when we're all playing checkers. All right, fine. Prove it. After all the talking and all the hyping that you've been doing about your team, about your culture, hell, about yourself, the Giants better have a winning record this season. In fact, a winning record probably would not be enough given this guy's self-promotion. Given everything they're blaming Odell for, they better be better than the Rams. They better be better than the Chiefs on offense this year. Now, if that guy's gone, everything's fixed now, right? Because that guy's gone. Everything should take off now offensively because the guy dragging them down is gone. Yeah, the 2019 Giants, man, they better be the 72 Dolphins. Or this guy's going to look bad. And that aroma that he smells will not be the smell of a Super Bowl. And I can't wait to hear what this guy says when Beckham kills it in Cleveland and they all rave about what an amazing teammate he is there and the Giants completely mess the bet offensively again. Who are you going to blame when that happens? I know you won't be looking in the mirror, Dave. Ownership should rip the shovel out of this guy's hands before he digs any deeper, and he better hope that old man Eli can cash the checks he's writing with his gap. But we know that's not going to happen either. The Giants won the trade, Beckham won the day on Twitter, and if Gettleman knows what's best, he will stop bumping his gums. Paul DeYoung is my guest. Paul, it's really nice to have you on. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. So you're coming off that 13-5 to win last night. Matt Carpenter had a couple of hits. Paul Goldschmidt had three. You had two. Jose Martinez had two. Dexter Fowler had four. Fowler was saying afterwards that it's contagious. So how good does it feel when everybody's getting up and making an impact literally every time they pick up the bat? Yeah, that seventh inning was pretty big for us. Uh, I got up twice in the inning. Um, You know, that's always a good sign, but... I think our offense is starting to click a little bit. We're not relying on the home run. We're beating teams uh, multiple ways, you know, 
passing the baton, good base running, uh, walks, and, and taking that extra base. Listen, I know you're not looking to make it about you, but your teammates will do so. For instance, catcher Yadier Molina said of you, quote, this kid can do it all. He can pick it. He can swing it. He can run the bases. I'm just happy for the great start that he's had. End quote. I mean, I don't need to tell you, but that is extremely high praise from one of the best to ever play the position. What's it mean to you to know that you've earned that kind of respect from a teammate like that? It's just a, it's an honor to be able to play with him. Um, you know, playing shortstop, I get to see him his every move, and I've learned so much from Yachty. He's a you know, living legend in this city, and just saw him get his ninth gold glove last night on the field. So truly inspiring. Uh, makes me want to play even better to get up to that level. Paul DeYoung is joining us. Now, I think a lot of people know this, but some don't. You were a biochemistry major in college. So when it comes to hitting, how much of it is an art and how much of it is science? As an example, are you digging really deep on spin rates and launch angles, or do you take a different approach? Well, I dive into the analytics when it comes to preparing for the starting pitcher. Just kind of maybe just paint a picture in my mind of, of what his fastball looks like or you know, if his fastball has a high spin rate, that means it's going to look like it kind of a little rises a little bit and he might might be a little quicker to the plate than you might think. So for me, it just kind of paints a picture of what, what this guy's ball's shape is going to look like, the slider, the fastball, whatever, he, whatever else he's got. And then I go up there and just use my eyes. All right, so you've also done some work with Dr. Lawrence Rocks on how the elasticity of a baseball changes with air temperature. And you've also spent some time on how tendon chemistry can help athletes avoid injury. What were the conclusions regarding the impact of air temperature on a baseball? Oh, we found that at uh, medium temperatures, the ball would be most elastic because at low temperatures, uh, the less energy, the ball wouldn't bounce as much. And at super high temperatures, it gets kind of mushy and doesn't bounce as much either. But that's just kind of a a result thing. Um, I was more interested in the tendons and how how I can train my body to be uh, more prepared and and also to, uh, you know, realize that strength training isn't everything when it comes to baseball. It's more about you know, power and, and using your natural ability. We're talking to Paul DeYoung. Now, you were a fourth-round pick out of Illinois State, as I mentioned. You were never ranked as a top-ten prospect by Baseball America, but at the same time, you moved right through the minors. What was your journey like through the minor leagues for you? Well, the Cardinals gave me plenty of opportunities. Uh, they moved me up fast, and um, this is an organization that, you know, if you play well, you're, they're going to move you up, and they challenged me, and, you know, I, uh, I felt like I was always uh, just trying to be the best player on that team and you know, keep moving up the levels and keep that same mentality. And you know, I think that's something that never stops. And um, you know, I had great support all the way up with the coaching staff and and the uh, other players around me helped me get better. So you know, I never felt overmatched. Just felt like uh, on to the next, on to the next one. Now, when you were called up, you homered in your first major league at bat. What do you remember about that moment and that at bat? <laughs> Well, I didn't get there until about the fifth inning, thanks to a uh, flight delay out of Memphis that morning. But you know, I just remember being super calm and, and waiting for my opportunity. And um, you know, got on deck in the eighth and didn't get up, so I let off the ninth, one uh, zero fastball right where I wanted it, and you know, put a good swing on it. And that nice Colorado air kind of drifted it out.
<laughs> Paul DeYoung joining us. You know, when Paul Goldschmidt arrived from Arizona, your manager, Mike Schilt, had said that he felt like the team had six potential gold glove fielders, which means he was including you as one of the six. Now, as a reminder, you hit 44 home runs in your first two seasons. So if you've got that kind of bat as a shortstop, you could probably, I guess I could argue, be an average defensive player, and you're going to have a job for a decade. So why is it so important to you to keep doing the small things to make sure that you are fighting for a gold glove? Uh, just because I want to be that complete player. I want to be able to run the bases. I want to be able to make uh, elite plays. I want to be able to hit home runs and drive guys in. So to me, um, you know, there's a laundry list of awards that you know I'm, I'm gunning for, like the Silver Slugger, um, Gold Glove, All-Star, World Series, all those types of accolades are, are what I'm, you know, striving for. So, um, you know, it's all part of being a good baseball player and, and shortstop's an important position. So I know about making plays for my, my pitchers is a huge thing for us. And then, of course, a lot of it's about preparation and routine. You recently did an interview with the Positive Coaching Alliance where you talked about your preparation and your daily routine and it's a routine that covers stretching, skill work, and mental preparation. Like, how long is that routine, and how valuable is it for you in getting ready to play? Yeah, it's it's uh, it can be mundane and tedious at times, but you got to learn how to kind of leave your phone in your locker and go and do your work. So, you know, it's something I've been working on since I got into professional baseball in 2015, just how to take care of myself every day to be able to go out there and play at my best. But, you know, it starts when I get there with, you know, doing my uh, my stretching and my like corrective exercises, and then taking care of my arm, and then getting on the field, doing my hitting, doing my ground balls, then uh, checking in on the on the pitcher for the day, and then you know just kind of some relaxation time in there too, just kind of unwind and and get ready for the game. Hey, Paul, really quickly, what well, you mentioned about sometimes you got to put the phone down and just do the work. It's such a fascinating concept because I've got a couple of kids, a couple of teenagers, and we always have that conversation, but it's not just teenagers, right? I mean, even Cliff Kingsbury, mm-hmm. the Cardinals, said, we're trying to shorten our meetings so guys can get back and check their phones because we know they will. Is that an issue even at, like, the major league level? Do guys have trouble putting their phones down? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a societal problem, um, you know, just kind of that addiction or, you know, that need for information. So, um, you know, for me, I catch myself at times just wanting to uh, – you know, leave it in my locker and go and just kind of enjoy the moment. So I think there's definitely, uh, you know, some room for free will in there to kind of say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this here and go focus on something else for now, and it'll be there when I get back. All right, so it doesn't mean necessarily, though, that it's all work all the time. You right. did some ice fishing, and from the looks of the photos on your Instagram, it was pretty successful. What were the highlights, and what's it take to be a great fisherman? <laughs> Well, it's nice to have uh, some local buddies and uh, and family up in northern Wisconsin and kind of show you which lakes to go on, but take some patience and uh, you know also some um, finesse to pull fish in like that. You got to like give and take. You can't just start pulling it up like a, a bat out of hell. You got to you know let it run and pull it in and let it run back and tire it out and pull through that hole. <laughs> Hey, Paul, I don't really know my Wisconsin geography that well, but I'm learning. Like last summer, I went to Eagle River. I'm going to go back there again, I think, this summer. You're you're very close. Okay, that's what I'm getting at. How close am I to where you were? About 30 minutes. Oh, nice. Nice. So where I am, there's probably some good ice fishing, right? Absolutely, yeah, and great summer fishing, too. So all times of the year. All right, so what's your advice for somebody who just, like, I'm a city guy. I'm a Los Angeles guy. Man, I... I have, no, I have no clue. Like, I did some fly fishing in Montana. It seemed like a great idea. It went really badly for me. Any advice for me? 
Yeah, um, you want to get yourself uh, an electric auger. That's the new ion auger. It's the uh, newest technology, no gas. Um, get yourself some tip-ups, and uh, I would use live bait on a treble hook, and, and it's just that simple. How about beer? Do I need any beer? Would that help? You might need beer or maybe a, a fifth of fireball to warm you up out there <laughs> okay. if it's a little cold. I like it. Hey, listen, you don't mind if I hit you up, right? If I get out there, I'm kind of lost and struggling. Maybe I can hit you up for some more advice. Anytime, early January, I'll be up there. Okay, man. I'll look for you. My man, Paul DeYoung, St. Louis Cardinals shortstop, having a really good start to the year, and they're in first. Paul, really nice to have you on. I appreciate you, and thank you for the conversation. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate being on. If we had to sum up what this show is about in a single word, it comes down to this. Performance. But unlike superstar athletes, you're trying to be clutch in everyday life, whether it's an important meeting or a business trip or you're fighting the afternoon crash. Sometimes you've got to have a boost, but you want an alternative to coffee or sugary energy drinks. I found something that's going to help you take your game to the next level the way it has mine. It's called Dawn to Dusk by Brickhouse Nutrition. Dawn to Dusk was designed by doctors to be a healthier, more effective alternative to old-fashioned energy supplements. With as little caffeine as a single cup of coffee, Dawn to Dusk provides up to 10, 10 hours of clean energy. It also heightens focus. It improves your mood. And unlike coffee or energy drinks, there are no jitters or crash. Simply clean energy and focus with no calories and no sugar. Go to BrickHouseRome.com. That's BrickHouseRome.com. And get 15% off your first order with the offer code Rome. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. So you've got nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. BrickHouseRome.com. That's BrickHouseRome.com. The NFL Draft is coming up in two days. So why don't we take a second right now and talk about the fourth overall pick from 2016. Because it's been a pretty interesting 72 hours for Dallas Cowboys running back, Ezekiel Elliott. And I'm pretty damn sure the dude did not go looking for any of the noise that he's currently getting. But Zeke is front and center on social media right now after he posted a pic of himself with Von Miller from Saturday to his Instagram feed. You probably know how this is going to go before I even tell you. He rolled out in front of the camera and he looked like he ate 10 of them, right? Wrong. You know the old joke. The camera adds 10 pounds. Really? How many did you eat? Yes, Zeke is getting fat shamed right now. But let's make one thing very, very clear. This guy's not fat. So don't ask me for the alarm. Don't start glossing him. E. Fatsio Belliot. Because this dude is the farthest thing from fat. Even if the pick is unflattering, and even if the top comment on Instagram is, oh, you be on that Ed Lacy diet. And I get that it is way too easy to crack a guy for how he looks when his trademark celebration consists of him miming a spoon into his grill and is called Feed Me. But just because it's easy does not mean that it's factually correct. He's just wearing a baggy shirt. It does not fit him very well. And he did himself no favors by going to social with it. But... You have to be willfully stupid to think that this slab of granite is anywhere close to out of shape. 
And if you took a second to scroll through any of the other photos from Von Miller's event, you would see exactly what I'm talking about. The guy looks good. The shirt doesn't, but the guy looks good. He looks really good. And I also get that you all want to connect the dots from the picture Saturday to that scene at the Dallas Stars game last night when Dak Prescott dumped an entire bowl of popcorn into Zeke's mouth on the Jumbotron. You know, like, check out Eats Creamsicles Elliot just inhaling popcorn by the garbage bag, Rome. What an out-of-control fatty, Rome. Stop. Stop. Just stop. That was a couple of superstars from the Cowboys playing it up for the cameras and getting the building hyped, and it worked because the Stars scored in OT a few minutes later, and they knocked out Smashville in Game 6 on their way to the second round. So one thing has nothing to do with the other, especially since the guy's not fat. He's not fat in the first place. However... The thing everybody is missing from that picture that he posted Saturday that does warrant some heat. If you want to give this guy some heat, you can give him heat for this. Not for being fat, because he's not. But if you want to go in, go in on this. He got some new ink on his right leg. And honestly, I don't know how anybody is missing it because it's a huge tattoo of his own face. That's right. Zeke got a tattoo of Zeke and it's huge and again it's his own face Zeke you don't have to get a tattoo of your own face you already have one on your face and it's called your face and it looks just like your face bands wearing their own merch think that that tattoo is excessive John Elway thanking himself thinks a tat of your own face is a little self-absorbed. Thank you to John Elway. Bruh, are you worried you might forget your ID sometime? Do you not have mirrors in your house? Would you rather people look you in your leg than in your eyes? Talk to hand, because the leg just don't give a damn? I mean, what's next? A tat of your leg on your face? You do have a tat of your face on your leg. The last guy that I would expect to get a tat of Zeke Elliott's face is Zeke Elliott. You know? I mean, considering he already has that face on his face. If anybody was going to get Zeke's face tatted on him, I'd expect it to be Michael Irvin, who said this about Zeke back in 2016. Dude, I'm telling you, man, when I listen to this boy talk about running the football like that, it just makes me want to go in the bathroom and spend some time by myself. I just love it. (laughs) Mike, when I listen to this guy talk about running the football, I just want to go into the bathroom and spend some time with myself. I love it. I just love it. I thought that was the highest praise you could possibly get. The playmaker is saying, when I hear this guy talk about running the football, I want to go spend some time with myself in the bathroom. I love it. I just love it. But I was wrong. That's not the highest praise. Turns out, tattooing yourself on yourself is the highest praise that anybody can get. There might be a spot in Canton for Zeke when his career is over. But in the meantime, get this dude a mustard jacket for the Narcissism Hall of Fame. No need for a bust, though. It's already on his leg. 
So if you want to go at this guy or you want to go in on this guy, do it for that. Not for him being fat, because he's not. But he did get a giant tat of himself, his face, and he put it on his leg. And again, you should just kind of match that up. You should accessorize that with a tat of your leg on your face. Be like, damn, dude, do you have a tat of your face on your leg? Yeah. And also, if you look closely, you'll see a tat of my leg on my face. If you're going to go there, dude, just go all in. Do it. A-Rod making out with himself in the mirror. Can't believe this guy did that. Because that's forever. Hey, Rome. There's nothing wrong with getting your own face tatted to your leg. Signed Paul George wearing his own jersey on vacation in Spain. Yeah, but bro, how's anybody going to recognize him if he doesn't? He should get a hat that says, I'm Paul George. And rocked out with that jersey. It's like me rocking the uh, Rome Show t-shirt. I do that a lot. Every Friday on this show. All right, now, hey, before you go there, hey, Rome, that'd be like you ordering your own sandwich at Ike's. I've done that. It's a good sando. I've done that. Not only have I done that, I've never, ever gone with, do you know who I am? But, like, I would follow my own advice. I would never ask a guy to do something that I would not do myself. So, in other words, I'm saying to Ezekiel Elliott, if you're going to get a tat of your face on your leg, go all in. Get a tat of your leg on your face. Like me. I'll give you an example. I'm not an ink guy. I have no ink. So, I did the next best thing. I went into Ike's Sandwich Shop one day, and I ordered my own sandwich. As if that weren't baggy enough. But it's a damn good sandwich. Turkey, avocado, cheddar cheese, and Ike's amazing red pesto. You cannot beat that. And in fact, I didn't even know that I had a sandwich for a long time. Or put it this way, they did it and I didn't know. And then people started to send me pictures of Ike's in Berkeley. So I'm like, I got to try the sandwich, right? The guy honored me. The company honored me with a sandwich. It wouldn't be cool not to try the sandwich. So I go in and I try the sandwich and it's like the best sandwich I've ever had. So then I'm feeling pretty good. So I wait several months and I go back and I order the same sandwich. This time I say to the kid behind the counter. And obviously the kid has no idea who I am and couldn't give a damn. Or so I thought. I said, by the way, I'm going to have that number. Let me think my number is. The Rome Sando is number. Wait, it's coming to me. Wait for it. A little longer. I don't remember. My bad. Actually, the guys were telling me that it varies by location. Maybe that's why I don't know. That's it. Doesn't really. It's not just an established number. Anyway, so I go in to the Newport Beach store, and I order the Sando, and I say to the kid behind the counter, hey, by the way, that's me. Like, I've never dropped that on anybody. And the second it came out of my mouth, I felt like the biggest D-bag ever. But then the kid looked at me. He's like, no way, dude. Really? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's me. He's like, damn. Brought it out. Smashed it. Some clone was out there, too. Had a good talk about the show. It was all good. 65 at the Newport Beach location. I don't know, though, but getting a tat of your own face on yourself 
is a little over the top. George Foreman naming every one of his kids George thinks that's a bit much. Terry Francona is our guest. Terry, it is awesome to have you back. How are you? Jim, thanks for having me back. I always look forward to it. How yeah, are you? Me too, my man. Terry, you turned, I'm great, you turned 60 yesterday. Happy birthday. How was that? You know what? Thank you. I just, I guess my first thought is a lot of people in Vegas probably lost some money. <laughs> betting, on the, betting on the over, they probably lost. Great. Um, but I don't, I don't, I mean, I, my body feels 80, but my head feels like I'm about 24, so I'm okay. Good. I want to get back to that big day in a minute, but first, why don't we talk a little bit of baseball? You dropped a tough one to Atlanta on Sunday, but the game was marked by the return of Francisco Lindor. He homered in his second game back. How has he looked to you so far, and how good is it to have him back? Well, first, it's great to have him back. Um, you know, we were told by the doctors that, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a, a – I don't want to say a limp, but you're going to be able to tell in his gait that, that he's not 100%. And, and we can tell. Like he went to his left on a ball up the middle. And, and you can see it a little bit. And that's going to probably be with him for a while. I think he knows it and we know it. And we're going to try like, tomorrow. we got a day game, so we're going to DH him tomorrow. We're not going to play him 10 in a row. We want to let him – I mean – we want to let his body kind of get used to the banging around of playing every day. But it's great to have him back, even just his personality. Terry Francona joining us. Now, it is early, and obviously it's the start of the season. It's been a little bit tricky because of the injuries, but 21 games in, Terry, do you have a sense or starting to get a sense as to the identity of this year's squad? You know what, Jim? We're kind of a work in progress. Um you know, this is the first time since I've been in Cleveland, or it's, it's the most turnover we've had. And, and that, that can never be used as an excuse because once the game starts, I mean, you've got to win. But, we're, we're, you know, we've had some injuries. We've had, to, we've had to kind of mix and match. We're still trying to find our identity, you know, who we are. Um, the guys do a really good job of trying to cooperate, which I appreciate. You know, if you're with the bullpen, whenever you, you ask them to pitch, they pitch, things like that. I, we don't do a lot of babysitting, which I appreciate. Um, but as a team, I think we're still a work in progress. Terry Francona is my guest. It makes sense. There's a lot of baseball left. Now, you signed a two-year extension with the team earlier this month. What does that deal mean to you, and what has your team in Cleveland, time in Cleveland been like so far? You know, it's it's kind of unique, I think, where when you you go to some place and you envision it being really good, and then when something actually doesn't just live up to it but goes past that, um, I think that's pretty rare. It, it, um, again, what I'm saying is I value the people I work with so much here that I don't want to go anywhere else. And I know I'm not going to manage forever, and you know, and I don't plan on it. But I would like to stay here as long as I am managing just because I care about the people so much. Yeah, awesome. When you talk about the guys that you work with, the people you work with, I mean, there's not time to mention everybody, but you were very quick to give credit to team president Chris Antonetti and GM Mike Chernoff. What is it about the relationship that you have with both of them that makes it so unique and special? You know, I knew Chris first. And then, you know, through – and Mark Shapiro also. And, and then through those guys, you start to meet, like, Mike Chernoff and, you know, Eric Binder. Guys, you meet all – you know, you get to know them all. The trust factor is so big that – and Chris and Cherney allow me to be myself. And by that – because I can be – I can say some dumb things. And they, they let me 
get to the point. They know that I'm going to come around a day or so later, and I'll shake my head and go, why didn't you say something to me when I said that? And Chris just laughs. They, I think they've made me better. I think I get too much credit here sometimes. I know I'd try to run through a wall for those guys, and I don't think they get the credit that they deserve. We're talking to Terry Francona. Now, in honor of your birthday, Terry, the Athletic put together a piece that essentially was a roast of you. There are so many good stories. I don't have time to get into all of them or very many of them. <laughs> a number of the stories, though, are about your love of popsicles. You and I have talked about this, but for the, for the record, what is your favorite kind of popsicle, and what is the most you have ever put away in a single sitting? Yeah, it was it was the I spent the night here at the ballpark one night cuz we had a real late night and it was a bad loss. It was 16 or 17. The the problem was I threw a couple of the sticks away early, not realizing it was going to be one of those nights, so it actually might have been more. But I I really like the grape ones. Um as you saw, I kind of have an affinity for milk duds. Uh you know, I'm, I'm, that's why I'm the picture of health and it happens to be you know, at midnight. Remember the movie Stripes? Sure. Julie Oxberger, he said he swallowed aggression along with a lot of pizzas. <laughs> right. That's kind of me after losses. I like it. Terry Francona, my guest. Now, the thing is, with a roast, of course, Terry, it's kind of hard to tell what's real and what's been exa- exaggerated. For example, Antonetti says, quote, he woke up one day with all these marks over his stomach. He was concerned, like, do I have a skin disorder? What's going on? And then he looked over on the side of the bed and realized he had rolled over onto a plate of nachos and the nacho parts were in his stomach. Terry, that didn't really happen, right? No, unfortunately, none of that, unfortunately, none of that is exaggerated. Um, a couple of my kids were in town for my birthday, and my oldest daughter, she had, she was laughing because she had visited me in Philadelphia on a road trip, well, uh, maybe ten years ago. So I rolled over in the morning, and she said I had an M M&M and M stuck on my right nipple. It just, it happens, and it, you know, it. Unfortunately, like I said, it's not exaggerated. It happens. It'll happen. Terry Francona is my guest. And Terry, you and I have talked about your relationship with your father in the past and the huge impact that he had on you. There is a famous photo of you and your dad with the team from back when you were four and a half, maybe five years old. The photo is up in a couple of spots at the stadium. So when you look out of your office, that's the first thing you see. What's that like for you? It's it's one of the most touching things. You know, when I came here, the office was empty, obviously, because, you know, the old manager's gone. And when I showed up opening day, they had put six or seven pictures up of my dad, even my mom. But now looking out my door, I'm looking at it right now. It's It was Father Sunday. I was four years old. My dad's standing behind me laughing with a big smile on his face. And they have it up in the hallway outside, too. And it's, it might be my favorite picture. And, and it just it, – it makes – I mean, I see it every day. I see it when I'm looking at it right now. The one thing I think about is, God, I was a cute kid. What happened to me? <laughs> but it also makes me think how fortunate I was to have parents that were as loving and respectful as they were. Isn't that cool? Terry Francona, my guest. Yeah, Terry, it's hard to imagine. And as we get older, and man, it's amazing where the time goes. But it's been 25 years since Michael Jordan was playing baseball for you in Birmingham. I know you've been asked about that. But when you look back on that time, what do you remember the most? That it was the best learning experience in my life, you know. And by that, you know, I mean when you're in Double A, you're just happy that the games are on radio. And then all of a sudden, Michael comes into your life, and you know you're dealing with media. You're you're learning to be organized, get your time organized. Um, you're dealing with with arguably the most most prolific you know athlete in the world. 
it was just great preparation for the major leagues. I didn't know it at the time. I was just trying to survive. But when I look back, it was the greatest learning experience I could have ever had. You know, what do you think from Mike's standpoint, Terry? Like, if you put baseball aside for a minute, how much do you think that Mike appreciated things like learning how to play Yahtzee from you or the bus trips or the chance to just be one of the fellas for the first time in a long time? And do you think that he found himself again? Yes, I actually do. And he he mentioned to me one time, he was going to a basketball game. It was a Sunday morning, and he knew we had a day game. And he called me and he said, he goes, I enjoy basketball more now from being around baseball for a year. He goes, you guys love what you do. And, and he did it. You know, there were all these rumors and everything. He did it for the right reasons, and I got to see him live it out. And I also got to see him with his guard down. You know, when you're on a bus for 15 hours, nobody can get at you. And, and once, you, once he trusted you, he let his guard down. He, he enjoyed being able to be a normal person, even for just a little while. Yeah, and then finally, Terry, because baseball is a, a game of failure, and it's so humbling, it's the most humbling thing in the world. How did Mike deal with failure when there's that much of it in baseball? What was that like for him? You know, there were a couple conversations when I thought he was being a little too tough on himself, and I kind of reminded him. I remember one day in Memphis, I said, Michael, I said, you're doing this for the right reason. I said, don't kill yourself. Don't beat yourself up. I said, it's a hard game. I said, you've earned the right to enjoy whatever success you have, you know, or whatever work you're putting in or whatever challenges you have. Don't beat yourself up so much. And I thought Mike Barnett, who, you know, worked with him hitting all the time, really did a good job of reminding him why he was there and, and, and to enjoy every challenge. He has led teams to three pennants, two World Series titles, a two-time American League Manager of the Year. The Indians have won three straight division titles under his guidance. They're at home against Miami tonight. Terry Francona, my guest. And that's how you end a show. Terry, it is so good to have you back. Happy birthday. You know I appreciate this relationship and the conversation all the time. Thank you very much. Jim, thanks so much for having me. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Calgary, right? Let's go to Calgary. Bob in Calgary. Hey, Bob, how are you? Good, how are you, Romy? Good, good. Hey, hey, is Ezekiel Elliott getting a tattoo of himself the same as Justify, the horse that won the Kentucky Derby, getting a tattoo of Sarah Jessica Parker? Ah! That's not a good no. no, Bob. You don't like That's that. not the same like thing. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense, Bob. What a dope. Justify won the Triple Crown, dope. Put some respect on that, dope. Good night.